Hey everyone, we're doing something different for Best Debate this week. Longtime creator and friend and friend of the show, John Schnepp, has passed away. It was announced during Comic-Con last week, so in honor of him and all the people who he has befriended and worked with and touched over the years, we're going to re-release that episode. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. We had a lot of fun and laughs on the show, and we do this in memory of John. Rest in peace, buddy. You're listening to the Madcast Media Network. Madcastmedia.com Welcome to the best debate in the universe. Every debate in the universe from the impending apocalypse to bringing back Metalocalypse. <laughs> With over one million downloads, I'm your host, Maddox. With me is Mikey, the audio engineer. Hello, sir. Welcome back. And as always, my bottom commanding lieutenant moderator, Rucka Rucka Ali. Hello, Maddoxes. <laughs> And today, we've got a colossal debate about the exploitation of nerds and nerd culture. But first, we are honored to have our very special guest this week, the legendary John Schnepp. John, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? What's up? So, for those of you who don't know John, he has an incredible background of work. He was the director of the animated series Metalocalypse. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Fuck yeah. Maddox, you gotta see that show. I've seen You've seen parts of it, but I've you really do. Trust me, me, dude. I'm a huge a good fan. Show. You also co-directed episodes of The Venture Brothers. Yep. Uh, directed the Aqua Teen Hunger Force 3D Origin. That's right. Actually, yeah, and also designed their house, like Carl's swimming pool, for their pilot. It was like really, back, yeah. It was like back when they were like, oh, we're gonna try making this. Uh, this Happy Meals fucking show. Holy uh, shit, so. man. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And you directed the letter W from the ABCs of Death. Yes, yeah, so I got a chance to do it. Mine was called W is for What the Fuck. So yeah. you just have to see it. It's like a trippy comedy horror, three-minute short freak out fest. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And one of my favorites of all time, one of my favorite shows of all time, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. You were one of the animators. Uh, no, well, actually, I edited the show. Oh, you edited it? Yeah. Uh, Clay Croker did the animation. I, I did a couple of like animated uh, segments, but it was like Clay's the guy who was the, unfortunately passed away this past year. But uh, yeah, I got to edit that. I did about almost 20 episodes over the, you know, from the very first season yeah. all the way to the last season. I would just come in once in a while, either go to Atlanta or edit it here in LA. So it was awesome. Now, when Cartoon Network, and I think Boomerang as well, but Cartoon Network, when it first started, out there was not a lot of original content on there right they were playing a lot of reruns of old cartoons and stuff and one of them was space ghost Mm -hmm. and i became infatuated with space ghost i tune in all the time specifically because of zorak and brack and some of these these uh the bad guys and the characters were so off the wall and crazy these scenarios and the stories and stuff and i and the music was amazing yeah i was just a huge fan of space ghost and then when out of nowhere came Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I thought, holy shit, this is the best thing ever. And I became a huge, huge fan of Brack, that character from the show. Oh, yeah, Brack's amazing. Yeah, super, super fun. I um, like to uh, ask the actor who played Brack to swear and say really horrible, filthy stuff. So <laughs> would he do it? Would oh, he play along? Yeah, he'd be like, fuck a pig. And <laughs> all crazy. Andy Merrill's awesome. Yeah, yeah that was amazing. Um, and we should talk about this. John, you wrote the new comic book for the metal band Slayer. The issue is called Repentless. It's issue number one. It's in comic book stores now. It's based on the song by the same name. Yeah, it's based on the album, Repentless. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it's basically kind of like everything that Slayer has been for the last 30 years. I tried to kind of sum that up in the in the idea of these two brothers fighting each other. And so that's kind of what the comic is about. It's about family, betrayal, uh, all kinds of uh, horrible, bloody, gory situations and outcomes to that effect. Uh, trust 
faith. It's a lot of those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, all ending with horrible violence because sometimes that's the only answer in certain people's lives. That is true. Sometimes violence is the answer. Say in dealing with Nazis, which we'll get to in just a minute. Right. But dude, the <laughs> the video for this song uh, is awesome. It's so much fun to watch. It came out, uh, I think, last year, right? Yeah, but two years ago. About two years like, ago. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, B.J. McConnell directed uh, three videos for Slayer that mm-hmm. all kind of told the story uh, with this one character being the through line. So I took his videos and used that as a jumping off point for my story. So yeah. you'll see in the first issue... Uh, those three videos are kind of referenced over the, you know, about four pages of story while he's in prison and yeah. why he's in prison. And then we kind of like go backwards and forwards in his past and then we rock it into the future. It's kind of like a gory road trip. Yeah. Is what I would say. It's like uh, w- with family. Yeah. So. <laughs> it, and there's a, the video is a prison riot. And yeah, it's that's so much the fun. first one. And then, yeah, the second one takes place in this kind of like old kind of rustic town in, yeah. a, in a bar and then uh uh, and then the third one takes place in, inside somebody's house where some bad things are happening. So Awesome. I, I'll link to this on the website, but there's a, there's a part in the video where Danny Trejo is gouging out someone's eyes with his thumbs. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, this, is the, this is a little clip of the music. I think it's so cool. I'm a big fan of Slayer. This, uh, this is a true fact about me. The first concert I ever went to was a Slayer concert. Nice. Yeah. And while I was standing in line, first of all, so there's like the this, the hardcore fans, and they were standing in this long-ass line, and there was a sh- much shorter line, and I, I thought, well, if there's a short line, I'm going to go stand in that one, and it turned out to be Will Call. So I'm standing in this line, and this guy comes up to me, and he's wearing a leather jacket, and he comes up to me, and he, he uh, taps me on the shoulder and goes, Psst, hey, do you like to fight? And <laughs> I kind of looked around, I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> he said, and he reached into his pocket, and he reached out and he pulled an address and he handed it to me. And it was the address to a fight club. Wow. It just had the address and the, the time, 3 a.m. And I turned to my friends. I'm only 16 at the time. I didn't drive. I'm like, can we go? They said, no, we're not going to a fight club. I'm like, we got to go to a fight club. We got invited. And they said, no, we're not going to a fight club because if you show up to a fight club your first time, you have to fight. I'm like, well, I guess those are the rules. Let's do it, guys. And they wouldn't do it. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, that was my first concert, Slayer. And that's why you're still here, because you didn't go to that fight club. Maybe. I think I would have won. I would have dominated. But here's a, here's a clip from the song, Repentless. Uh, this is really cool. Check this out. That, so- that song is so badass. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to play more of it, but Danny, that's the part where Danny Trejo, I think, is gouging out someone's eyes. Yeah, and all the all the characters in the videos are are represented in the comic books, but we just didn't use their likenesses. So Danny's you know character is tra- in the comic, but it doesn't look like uh, Danny Trejo, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, did you work closely with the band at all? Did you get their input at all? I got their input as far as after I came up with the idea for the story, I uh-huh. sent it into their record label and the band, and they approved it. And then I started scripting it, and then they they were really uh totally kind of in a hands off way, like, look, dude, we trust you, rock it, you know. So it was really fun to be able to kind of go that go that route and then talk to them after it was all scripted and they were like we love it so i felt i felt really good about that yeah it's really badass there's an alternate cover there's two covers there's the variant cover rather and the, the variant cover has this uh corpse is that what it is with the crown of thorns <laughs> it's somebody with a lot of stakes in it yeah both artists are incredible uh legendary artists the first artist who's on the regular cover is glenn fabry and he did all of the painted covers for preacher that's the the bloody faced guy with the right. eye patch. Yeah. The second cover is done by Eric Powell, and he's very famous for being the artist from The Goon. Uh, I got a chance to work with him on our Metalocalypse comics that I did. He did the variant covers, and he also did a Death Clock versus The Goons. You know, that was the thing that launched us all into the comic book world. As far as I myself being a giant comic book nerd, yeah. I've been reading comics since I was a little kid. But the chance to be able to make comics was done v- via that. So yeah, we made that joke at the beginning of the of the show. 
about uh, bringing back Metalocalypse. Mm-hmm. Now, the fans have been wanting this for a long time. They, right. they even went so far as to create funding for it and then brought it to Cartoon Network, and uh, that didn't happen. So it, it's not coming back, right? No, it's not going to come back. But you know what? The way I look at it is like, you know, I worked on it for eight years. Yeah. And I'm very, I'm proud of everything I did. If you, if you like Metalocalypse, you could watch every episode on Hulu right now. And uh, I heard it's doing great. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, in 10 years, maybe it'll come back. Yeah. We'll all be 10 years older, which everyone, whenever I tell people that, they're all bummed out. But I'm like, guess what? The com- uh, animated characters don't age. Yeah. That's so in true. 15 or 20 years, they could do it like a fifth season and f- end the show. And, you know, all the people who in 15 or 20 years will be watching that would get to rediscover Metalocalypse. And then we'll all be dead or in like senior homes. Like, that's right. Metalocalypse will bleed from my eyes and die now. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm not working on it, but somebody finished it. So that's the way I look at it. Uh, you know, 60 episodes is pretty cool. I yeah. always look at things like we never asked to be born and we're not specifically going to ask to die. Guess what? Everyone listening to this show eventually will die. Maybe you're going to get hit by a car, have a heart attack, but some way, shape or form, you're not going to exist anymore. Look at TV shows. They get one pilot. Sometimes you never get to see it. Sometimes you get a whole season and then they're canceled. Yeah. Eight we, years is a long time. to. We work got on. four seasons. Yeah. Every, every season took about a year and a half or a little bit longer to make. And then they'd schedule it. You know what I mean? So it was like, so a hell of a lot of work. It's a death metal cartoon show, which yeah. is incredibly gory. So just let that sink in for a minute. And we got to do four fucking seasons of it. <laughs> Chill the fuck out and be happy that yeah. we did four seasons and nobody murdered each other. So yeah. it's like one of those things where, you know, I don't think Adult Swim really wants to, uh, you know, be involved in that aspect. A lot of uh, a lot of people like myself, I left after the fourth season. Tommy left at the end of the third season. A lot of us had other things we wanted to do. When you think about like, you know, you're watching a show, but there's people who are making it. It's their entire life. And I was like, I just want to do other things. I felt like I started to repeat myself where I was like, I've already done all this in the first two seasons. Unless we're going to go somewhere else, I don't want to keep doing the same thing sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, you get to that point where it's like, look, I, I would love it if in 10, 15 years, a brand new, fresh blooded person came in and be like, let me have the rights and do it. You know, I, I, that's how a lot of cartoons look how many people have worked on Scooby Doo for Christ's sake. Nobody ever talks about the original gang of the, <laughs> but if you could just get those original people who worked on Scooby fucking do, yeah. then it'd be good again. And they just stop chasing that guy's like, if it wasn't for you damn kids, that's how it's a fucking supposed to be. You know what I mean? That's just, yeah. the show should follow a certain formula. And I think, you know, that's what the most successful shows do is they follow a formula and break it every time, but keep it, keep that formula going. So who knows? I just know that you won't be seeing anything in the next, you know, couple of years is my guess. But yeah. I, I really don't know 100% because I'm not involved anymore. Sure. I mean, that's kind of, that's the harsh facts, ladies and gentlemen. Just watch the first season again and pretend it's all new. Is it kind of meta? Because, like, a big part of that show, I think, was, like, the politics between band members, you know? Like, all these different dynamic mm-hmm. pe- creative types trying to produce shit together dealing with each other's neurotic shit yeah and then you got i'm sure the team creating the show maybe with differing opinions or problematic personalities and i don't know anything about any sure let's just say this when when the show started we all were we were all friends all friends everybody really loved (laughs) each other so don't work with your friends is that that advice no not at all i've worked with tons of friends for over 30 years well tommy's your tommy's your longtime friend yeah you guys were college roommates yes and we're still great buddies we're still working on stuff together we still call each other a lot and you know nothing there's nothing changed with that so i mean there's a lot of things that happen over the course of working on a show together where it's like yeah obviously metalocalypse is totally about band dynamics and it's about people working together and stuff and if you notice most of the band and death clock hate each other 
but they also kind of love each other. So yeah. there's a, you know, that's the unity of being in a band or a family or a group of people. Those kinds of things happen. Sure. You know, and that happens in every single television show too. Every series has these kinds of problems and issues and you know, that's what happens. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, five, 10 years from now, we'll end up seeing something happening with Metaloculus, but it's just going to take some time. Now I should mention, this is, this is a little bit of trivia that even my fans don't know about me, but uh, a long time ago, actually uh, probably about four or five years ago, I sold a show to Fox. It was an animated show. And I've never really talked about this on my website or anything because I don't like to generally talk about things and, unless they're done, unless right. they're finished. I don't like to celebrate. Basically, I celebrate. Yeah, it's not like you talk about your book. Yeah, You know what? You know what, shithead? I got big news. Big news coming. Back to your story. Rucka. Trigger. Thank you. John John just got triggered. <laughs> I think we all did. By what? Fin- <laughs> finally. So, so back to the story. Yeah. Yeah, so I generally don't like to talk about things that it, unless they're done, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the book, okay, again, big news. But anyway, um, I sold this animated show to Fox, and we had the animation company Titmouse right. work on it. And that's the animation company headed by this guy named Chris Pernosky. He's awesome. Amazing dude. I love this guy so much. In, in, and uh, he's there's cameos of him in a lot of the... Titmouse animations that they work on. Oh yeah, we, we've killed him multiple times in Metalocalypse. Yeah. I've known that dude since like nineteen, I think nineteen ninety. Uh, I want to say nineteen ninety six or ninety seven. Oh no, back shit. when he was working at MTV. MTV, animation. yeah. yeah. He worked. He uh, worked on Liquid Television. Didn't oh yeah, he? back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Chris Pernosky. He he has. It's one of the best animation studios I've ever dealt with. These guys are so amazing. I love everything they do. They work on. Uh, if you guys don't know about Titmouse's stuff, they worked on Son of Zorn, Super Jail, Black Dynamite, obviously Metalocalypse, mm-hmm. Venture um, Brothers. Yeah, Venture Brothers. That's right, and uh, that you you co-directed yeah. some of those too, right? I do. I did those before they moved to Tim House. I I went out to New York when they were at a company called World Leaders, but okay. I, I did season four. Yeah, so I worked with this company, and we we had a shoestring budget to produce basically an animated pilot for Fox, and they came to us and they said, "Well, uh, you know, here's your budget, and the budget." They said, "Go ahead and produce these, and then pay yourselves out of the budget." And it turns out the budget was way way shorter than uh, than what we needed. So uh, basically, Chris uh, went up to bat for us, and he he called in every favor he could. And Tommy did one of the voices nice. for the show that we did, and so did Brian Posen. Uh, it was an amazing pull that we got. Uh, anyway, of course, the show never got picked up. Otherwise, you would have heard about it. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was my interesting little run in. Well, with. yeah, pilots. I've worked on three pilots that no one's ever seen. Yeah. That's why I vowed off. To, I'm like, Is it, you know what? I'm never going to make another pilot. That's yeah. why I just personally because I was like. You work like six, seven months on something, yeah, and then no one sees it. No one sees it, and it's like so. You feel like if you work on enough pilots, you'll you'll waste your entire life, right? So it's good to do something or do a few things. So while I've done pilots, I've always been doing other things. So I guess I can't say never say never. Like if I I'm doing some other show, and then someone's like, "Hey, can you help me make this pilot?" Then I probably would do it, but I wouldn't just only exclusively work on a pilot. Yeah, it's such a it's such a hard thing to do. One of the pilots we did actually sold. Had like Samuel L. Jackson and Nick Offerman and Aaron Paul all doing voices before any of those guys were like known for doing voices. Sold as a series, and then there was like a, a change up in the in the company that you know we had were making it for, and then they swept it off. Like you know they exchanged presidents, and then when one new president comes in, they're I'm not doing anything the old person was going to do. And you're like God damn it! So it was one of those. We're one of those like you always hear horror stories about different pilots, and I was like, "Yeah, that's really screwed up." And then it happened to me, and I was like, "That's fucked," you know, when it actually happens. To you. Yeah, but you know, that them's the breaks. Yeah, you know? it's 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 definitely frustrating, and that's why uh, after that experience and several others, I you know I worked so long and so hard in Hollywood, and I've actually sold multiple shows, three shows. I've never even talked about this stuff. 
because I have nothing to show for it. And sometimes you'll work for years on these shows. And I think sometimes to the detriment of your career. Yep. Because I held off on releasing videos on my YouTube channel for years. And then finally I said, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck Hollywood. I'm done with this shit. If something falls on my lap, I'm not going to say no. But I'm going to, I'm done working for free mm-hmm. because that's essentially what it comes down to. You can tell on paper, you look and you say, okay, this guy sold three shows in Hollywood. Wow, he's successful, right? Your, your name shows in Variety magazine. Your name shows up here and there. You get in the trades. But it doesn't translate to anything because at the end of the day, no one's paying you. And even if you do get paid, you don't really start making money until syndication right. season two. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a gruel. But uh, anyway, moving on, we should talk about the debate from last week. John, last week we, we had a debate. I asked the audience the question, is it okay to punch a Nazi? The audience voted. Unequivocally, yes, right? That's just my guess. Yeah, well, <laughs> you would be wrong. What? The audience voted with a 60% margin no. Wow. It's not okay to punch a Nazi. I guess our listeners are all Nazis. <laughs> or they just <laughs> never saw Indiana Jones or never read Captain America. Yeah, you know? or, or, or has no empathy. I don't understand what Nazism means, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then I also asked the audience what they thought I truly believed, because we debated this last week. And with a 72% margin, the audience voted, it is okay to punch a Nazi, correct? Because what I truly believe is, yes, punch a Nazi. That's right. Always punch a Nazi. But here's the thing. I would say with the, within the framework of the Supreme Court test, which is, is the Nazi inciting violence? Expressing your shitty opinions shouldn't be cause for violence, of course, unless... You're encouraging and inciting others to harass, abuse, or commit violence. Mikey, go ahead and open the envelope. What's my true opinion? Now, I hand Mikey an envelope with my mm-hmm. true opinion just to prove to the audience that I haven't changed it from week to week. Right I see. It's, this is real. I saw him open this thing. And yeah. about secret. to read. It's a real piece of this paper. It's real. Uh-huh. It says, for my eyes only, Maddox's opinion is punch a Nazi. Yeah, that's right. That's punch, right. punch a Nazi. Very brave position. Thank you. It is a brave position. I would agree, though. It's like if they're inciting, uh, you got to punch them out. You know, you got to punch them out. That's Everybody's a, a, have an opinion on your. You know, you could say whatever you want. You know, on Twitter or you know, social media, whatever. Oh, sure, run your mouth. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as you start inciting violence, like say a Nazi, mm-hmm. then you get punched in the teeth. Got to so, get punched. To be clear, you think Richard Spencer was inciting violence? Uh, he has incited violence when? in the past. Well, let's listen to some of these voicemails. You'll hear. Right. Here's the first one. Listen to this one. Hey, Maddox. It's Christian. This is in refer, uh, hey, reference to the is it okay to punch a Nazi in the face debate, which is a very good debate. Yep. Um, I feel like Rucka and Mike D totally minimized the issue here. Uh, maybe you guys just didn't know enough about Richard Spencer, but uh, he, he used to have a website called Alternative Right, and uh, he actually wrote an essay called Is Genocide Against Blacks Right? Or Is It Okay? And which he, uh, you know, espouses the idea that it might be the right thing to get rid of the black race entirely. Um, and he has constantly espoused ideas of white supremacy, that whites are the ones that own this country, whites belong here. Um, these are ideas that do incite violence. Uh, he is an incredibly violent person who deserves to be punched in the face. Um, violence is an acceptable answer in certain circumstances. Um, you know, Mike D brought up a lot of good points. Uh, about why we shouldn't be violent to someone just because of their opinion. But this is not just an opinion. This is a uh, toxicity that this guy uh, carries that he has spread among his followers uh, these dangerous and heinous ideas such as black genocide, 
and white supremacy. And, uh, yeah, I, I honestly think he deserved a punch in the face. I was happy when I saw it. So yeah. there's that. Um, you know, go punch a Nazi. Have fun. See ya. Go punch a Nazi. Yeah. You know who else deserves to get punched in the face? Trump by De Niro. Remember, he was like, <laughs> punch you her in the face. I'm going to punch you in the face. I love that video. Wait, no, I never saw this. De Niro made a, a public service announcement saying, you know, you want to punch the, the, those people in the face? I want to punch you in the face. Oh, Call no Call him shit. a crook, a moron, stupid. You got to look it up. If you never saw Robert De Niro's public service announcement about the idiocy that is Donald Trump, the moron Trump, who is our president, you should see it because... It is beautiful, and it's uh, unfortunately it didn't do what, what we wanted it to do. Donald Trump is now our president, doing dumb things after dumb things every day since he took office. So it really is one of those, you know. Hey, I, I, if I could go back and 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 see that happen, I would love to see De Niro punch Donald Trump in the face. I have that clip right here. Let's let's play this. <laughs> listen to it. Let's listen to this. I mean, he's so blatantly stupid. <laughs> he's a punk. He's a dog. He's a pig, he's a con, a bullshit artist, a <laughs> mutt who doesn't know what he's talking about, doesn't do his homework, doesn't care, thinks he's gaming society, doesn't pay his taxes. He's an idiot, Colin Powell said it best. He's a national disaster. He's an embarrassment to this country. It makes me so angry that this country has gotten to this point, that this fool, this bozo, <laughs> has wound up where he has. Bozo. He talks how he wants to punch people in the face. Well... I'd like to punch him in the face. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert De Niro, like, ladies and gentlemen, right? I have right? never seen that. That's an amazing clip. It's beautiful. Yeah. I want that to happen. I like the way that caller ended that call. Maybe that, that'll be an official send-off for the show, Punch a Nazi. Mm. Uh, maybe that'll be the official Madcast slogan. Mm. Um, like it. The interesting thing about that uh, emotional debate of yours, <laughs> yes. Maddox, yeah. and by the way, yeah, Mikey, why don't you stop uh, sticking up for Nazis, as that caller kept saying. <laughs> um and by the way, Maddox, you perfectly articulated the pro- uh, progression of emo- of uh, intellectual retardation when you said the audience voted yes, it is- no, it's not okay to punch Nazis. So I guess they're Nazis. You literally like showed what happens. First, you say it is okay to punch them. Then anyone who disagrees with you is a Nazi as well. So it's okay to punch them. You are the problem, Maddox. That's first of all. Second of all, maybe I should get punched since I'm the problem. Well, you are one degree of separation away from being a Nazi. You have been called a Nazi. (laughs) You have been called a Nazi. You will be called a Nazi. You're by virtue of being a man who's cis male, who's straight, whatever. Can I just say, aren't we all just one degree separated? This Kevin Bacon six yeah. degrees doesn't exist anymore, especially because yeah. of social media. We're all one degree separated from each other now at this point. Absolutely, I don't think that's a bad. I mean, thing. Oh, it's not. I mean, I, I mean, when I say you're one degree separated, I mean you're this close to being labeled a Nazi by someone right. who appoints themselves the authority. BuzzFeed had a um, article or maybe it was MTV who said let's exterminate white people and I brought that up and you thought eh that's funny but what did you say Maddox I'll remind you because you probably weren't thinking when you said it and you don't okay. remember you said only white men have co- actually committed a holocaust I didn't say that I didn't you literally I swear no, I to fucking, fucking god we'll listen no, to the show that's we'll bullshit. listen to the show we will listen we'll to do it live yeah, we will do it live alright well let me finish Trigger. my fucking thought yeah thank you you John. said only white men have actually carried out a holocaust I didn't fucking say white men of only carried out a holocaust what- i said only nazis have ca- carried out a holocaust that nazis and the rwandan genocide the uh what, what is it the tutti the tutu whatever the, those guys and then the nazis now look if you are coming from a group all right that has actually committed these crimes which group is that nazis richard spencer doesn't call himself a nazi he's not I, I part of i don't care the- what he calls himself okay, he's so, you de- so you de- 
Okay, listen, you decided you decide who's a Nazi. Even if someone says I'm not a Nazi, you decide they're a Nazi and then they don't have free speech anymore. My point is this. You sat here like a dumb gump and, and said that only the ever white guys don't have free speech I didn't be, say that. because they've actually done a holocaust so they don't they're not allowed to promote hateful ideas. You're literally Armenian. Your people were literally murdered by the million plus by Turks, by a by a political group called the Young Turks. There is currently a fucking news organization on YouTube called the Young Turks. I like the Young Turks, well, but not that organization. But they're that called the Young about. Turks, and th- you're not allowed to punch them when they're literally named after the group that committed a Holocaust against your very people, Maddox. And you still d- you you still choose to just ignore all that shit. You you call yourself white, and you ha- you and you you decided to be a self hating white guy. Yeah. For That's no me. fucking reason that I understand. That's me too. You don't team. have to be have any white guilt, dude. Uh, You're brown and hairy as fuck. I <laughs> anyway, why, we, do, we, why do I wake up every day and uh, and flail myself? Then I don't understand. I, mean, I that's don't what, either. Anyway, I watch Buzzfeed videos right. and I flail myself for good. being a white guy. Good. And I apologize. Now, here's good. the thing: I mean, yeah. whether you're white or any color or ethnicity or race or religion, isn't it isn't it okay to stand up for what you basically think is wrong? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I, I myself, being a white male, don't feel any guilt at all saying I'd like to see the people who run organizations based on hatred. I'd like to see all of those organizations dissipate and well, be taken down by the smart way by people just learning and understanding yeah. it's not cool to hate it's other people cool. for different ways of thought but let me tell you my friend you saying I don't feel guilty as a white guy makes you a Nazi in the eyes of no. some and You're they will punch fucking, you if you think they, it's cool to punch no. this guy you I, will you know get, what I disagree I would not get punched because if they heard what I was saying they would agree with me and they'd give me a big hug I don't I'm think I'm telling you you gotta, honestly, you gotta think, catch up on your BuzzFeed videos no. my friend I don't actually I don't have to No, BuzzFeed's bullshit I'm tired of this fucking false equivalency right. over here all Mark right my fucking words 10 years from now we're gonna sit down and do a fucking podcast and the headline <laughs> will be literally 99 percent of the country officially named nazis and it's open fucking season i swear to fucking god you think it's cool to punch the one guy you disagree with you're next i swear to fucking god you're this close you're already a nazi you're yeah, already well, a white right. guy who fucking who fucks oh, chicks my gosh. Ch- dude, dude you are you claim to fuck i heard <laughs> i heard this argument a caller called in he's like hey maddox well if we're calling richard spencer a nazi then what if someone calls you a nazi does that mean we get to punch you for no idiot because i'm not holding rallies where i have my followers sig heil trump and sig heil me and talk about how my race is the superior one there's a big fucking difference and let's not even pretend this is a, a thin line there's a fucking this line is miles long all right between nazism and someone who has abhorrent views. You're allowed to... Look, you're allowed to have abhorrent views. Fucking uh, Louis Farrakhan wants to ethnically cleanse like a quarter of the country and give it to black people. Well, here's another caller. Listen to this guy. So the question is, is it okay to punch a Nazi in the face? Yeah. I'm going to say no on the, because the only reason <laughs> because I have a lot of beliefs and I don't want to get punched in the face for mine. Uh-huh. So at what point do we say it's okay to punch one guy in the face for his beliefs and somebody and not somebody else for theirs? I don't want to draw that line and just say it's never okay because I never want somebody to come up and punch me in the face over mine. Wow, what a Nazi. Also, I, I forgot what the fuck I was going to say. Good. God damn it. It's more hate God speech. fucking damn it, motherfucker. <laughs> Oh my God. Now, to be fair, to be fair, he did he did remember eventually what he was going to say. I just cut the voicemail off there, right. but 
Uh, yeah, so that, that's that's the argument that you're making, Rucka. It's what like, argument? Well, he said that if you have an opinion yeah. that you don't like, no one should come up and punch you in the face for it. Unless? Unless? Unless and you're Supreme, a Nazi. No, this is the Supreme Court I don't test. care what the Supreme Court says. Well, you, we, you better fucking... No, because, need to. Yeah. The fucking Constitution says you have free speech, or the amendment <clears throat> does. Yeah, too, but if you incite violence, that's not free speech. Thinking whites are better than blacks is not inciting violence. That's or not, saying that's there not should what he be, said. Saying there should be a genocide, but not actually saying let's start that genocide is not calling for is not invoking a genocide it's saying let's vote nazis into into government and by the way if there if richard spencer is ever elected president then yeah let's let's get our guns and go overthrow the government but him standing in the street talking to abc is not inciting violence all right so stop fucking just stop being a hero maddox the audience has spoken i can't 70 percent of them are fucking nazis that can't wait to fucking take you out back and beat the shit out of you yeah. for the color of your skin so okay. let's just fucking cater to them and move on with the show okay i'm sorry look then uh then, then you know I'm, what? With, I'm, I'm sticking with captain america yeah it's okay to punch a nazi it's okay indiana jones hates nazis he, does. he hates nazis what cha- what changed from when we were fighting nazis in the 40s to now where we're like actually that, embracing that, was, a bunch that, of that was an organized military that we were fighting it wasn't a guy with a with, secret with a, hate a group working. yeah it's like a, let, me, let me quote let me quote <laughs> a, a very smart man on the show once said hey maddox <laughs> <laughs> yeah we shouldn't punch people for different beliefs man we should just let everyone think the way they want even if they incite violence and commit atrocities i have a I said that. <laughs> I've also, I remember what I remember saying on this show. Um, and Hippie. this show, this show can sometimes be repetitive because I have to keep on explaining shit no, to I'm you. Just busting your balls. All I'm right, but uh, if there's a threat against uh, this country from within or without, you know I'm a fucking hawk, Maddox. Whereas you're the fucking pacifist. So I'm, not fuck I'm a fucking hero. You you're just said fucking, it. I can't stop being a hero, dude. Here's, a, here's one thing. Like you know what? No one wants to say committing any kind of violence against anyone for just speaking their, their right. mind is okay. Right. And I don't think it was okay for that guy to punch that dude, but it was satisfying to see it because that guy's a piece of shit. There so you it's go. Like, it's really literally, I think that's what a lot of people yeah, are saying. But they're here's like, the Look, thing. It's not okay to just walk yeah. randomly walk around and punch people because you don't agree with what they're saying. I'd feel better. First of all, he's kind of like Bin Laden, this Richard Spencer. He's like Bin Laden where he's got, he, he looks friendly and I have a hard time hating him, even yeah. though I know he deserves but to be hated. we're giving that guy way too much credit. He's got yeah. a very small, small group, a very yeah. small group of hate-filled people who yeah. are listening to what he's doing. It's, I mean, there's a lot of other hate groups that exist, too, and we're not going to go punch those people. I don't think it was the right thing to do. That's, But I think the reaction that everybody's had, like, go punch a Nazi and then showing pictures of Captain America, because it was like, especially with Trump winning and him hating actively on lots of different groups, just yesterday, Muslims blocking people out, Amer- Americans who are here, not able to fly and land or in air. It's just, it's so disgusting and horrible what's happening in our country right now that the reactions to smaller groups that none of us would have even given a second thought to, oh, there's that little group meeting about this and they said that, no one would give a fuck about it. But because now, because of people who are in office and because of Trump's generalized just hatred and ignorance and stupidity, a lot of other smaller stupid hate groups are getting that kind of air that they would never would have gotten in a million years because of the way politics is changing. Yeah. So generally, our country and most of the people behind like free speech and the act of being an American and are against that, so that's why they felt that relish and that excitement seeing that guy get punched in the face. Yeah, and I now more than ever, it's we got to protect, uh, you know, the First Amendment, yes. free speech. So if if somebody and wants the, to, the want, right to exercise your religion freely, we yes. should mention so that. Now yeah. more than ever, if we see somebody punching someone out for their abhorrent points of view, more than ever, we all need to say, hey, hey, 
this guy in the street doesn't get to just punch somebody. Right, that's not the right way to be. Yeah. Look, there is. Well, that was the debate. Is it okay to punch a Nazi? And of course, Maddox, the highly emotional debater, said, "Of course." No, but it's I am cool no one's going to argue that it was satisfying to see that guy get sucker punched. Well, yeah, that's, here's, that's but here's why it, it yeah. wasn't really satisfying because it puts me in a position where I need to then like stick up for the for the white supremacist and say, well, hold on. He doesn't you can't just you don't have to. We can't just have a, a, a society of vigilantes punching each oh other. Out. Dude, so it look. puts people in a position where half of Twitter is saying, good, I'm, he should get punched. And the other half is saying, wait, wait, hold on. We can't do things that way. And then those guys are saying, wait, then then you're a Nazi, as Maddox said earlier about his own. I listeners. think most people come to their senses as well. It's like it was so. actually like a big re- it was a release seeing that person get punched. Yeah. But nobody wants to see that guy get punched right. in real life other than like it's the idea of it is what people embrace because they're like sick of the stupidity that's happening in America in general. And just a lot of people were lied to by Trump and the entire administration. They lied to a lot of people and took advantage of a lot of people who might not have been in the right state of mind or thought that this guy was actually going to do something for them when all he really cares about is lining his pockets with money and all of his rich friends. So he lied to all the people that voted for him. And I'm not going to blame half of America and call them stupid and call them ignorant. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say they were lied to actively tricked and that's what's happening right now we see within the first five days he's just signing things that are lining his pockets look at the muslims he is he's not banning people from places that he has business with it's just all the other states or i'm sorry all the other countries i I mean it can't be any more obvious to anybody with open eyes than it's right in your face it's not he's not trying to hide anything he's actually doing it out in the open and that's what I think is triggering so many people because you're like, this guy is not only is he a moron, not only is he one of the dumbest people I've ever heard speak in my life, and now he's our president, he is a moron. He's embarrassing. He doesn't have a vocabulary. He can't make proper cogent sentences instead of just saying, it's going to be incredible. The wall's going to be amazing. <laughs> he is an, an open embarrassment to everyone on the planet, not just Americans. So I feel horrible for not only all the Americans who are tricked and lied to and who constantly co- keep quoting Hillary and the emails and all this other stuff because they were tricked. They were lied to. It's like, I get it. You're, every time you talk about Trump, the opposite side says, stop your whining. Stop being a crybaby. So it's like, I get it. You just don't, you can't, you can't understand that you were tricked so bad. He's not going to do anything to help you. In fact, you're going to pay more than anyone in New York or California or any of the liberal states that you complain about. In fact, you're going to be the one that suffers the most because you elected this liar. And all of the people who are pushing all these, all of their agendas through. That's the people who really got lied to. So I think people who got punched in the face, like that Spencer guy's the smallest concern right now. The biggest concern is actually getting Trump out of office and all the horrible people whose agendas they're pushing right now, which has nothing to do with what our country's about. Sorry, I got all political. Fuck it. <laughs> it. It sounds like a lot of the the listeners were triggered, uh, especially especially the Nazis. I'm, you know, uh, sometimes that happens on the show. I do trigger Nazis from time to time, oh, but I also such a hero. <laughs> I also I also trigger a different kind of caller. Listen to this guy. All right, I'm listening to the debate and time out. <laughs> you hated Ocarina of Time, a game that is pretty much considered by many to be arguably the greatest video game of all time stacked up against games like Final Fantasy VII and the original Metal Gear Solid. Maddox. What the fuck, man? Are you out of your goddamn mind? Okay, look, Maddox, I love you, but you better have some damn good reasons in your upcoming video as to why you didn't like Ocarina of Time, bro. Otherwise, I'm going to be disappointed. Oh, no. Not disappointment. Listen, bro, 
All right, I do. He just called in. I just released a video, John, about right. things I hate in modern gaming, right? And which is walking. I hate walking in gaming because what about it's so- just traveling on a horse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even oh. more. Red Dead Redemption. Trigger. Damn it, can I just travel in that? Where's that okay. stagecoach? John, I'm glad you Get on you the asked. horse, motherfucker. <laughs> funny, funny you mentioned, because I specifically mentioned traveling on a horse in my video, and I said that's even worse. Because first of all, it's not that much faster. They just make the maps bigger. Mm-hmm. And second... I hate horses. And now, the horse sometimes will kick you off if you're like, come on, I got to get there faster. It just throws you off. And oh, I'm like, God damn it. I kick horses off. They don't kick me. Mm. Now, l- listen, I, in this video, I talked about horses and how it's just pointless walking. The horse aspect of it is it's just it's just an excuse to put another animal into the, mm-hmm. the game, right? We don't need more animals in games. More people and robots, I think, and monsters. That's my stance. All right. But what's horses? What do you got, what do you got against horses? Man? Oh, so I'm much. Just kidding. Go ahead. So go much, again. so much, John. I mean, I love glue. I'll, t- I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that for days. I love glue. Uh, and, and horse carpaccio. I'll eat that for days, too. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I came out with this video. And my reasoning for hating Ocarina of Time is that you don't do anything in the fucking game. All you do is walk in that game. Oh, And then and then some people, uh, some one of the callers called in and was like, uh, Hey, Maddox, way to be late to the, the, the game about criticizing Ocarina of Time. There's so many other people. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, idiot. I was using that as one example of like a dozen games that I pointed Here's out. Here's a game, Fallout 3. I didn't like look at any of the manuals. I was like, I'm just going to play this. And I didn't realize you could travel from like one city to the other. Fast travel. I didn't use the fast travel because I didn't <laughs> know you could do that. So my motherfucking ass is running through deserts, yeah. getting like my stim packs used up, yeah. fighting giant scorpions and weird dudes in the middle of the nowhere. And I didn't realize like all my resources were being wasted. I could have just fast traveled. I found that out about like two months into playing the game. Born like I was playing, yeah. I was running for like three hours. Yeah, that's like all you literally. Do. I'd show up at some place, like, mm-hmm. oh, I just need a stim pack, and then some fucking person would kill me or something. Yeah. You know, so it was like I have all these saved games yeah. playing Fallout Three. Like I'm in, the, <laughs> in some dungeon with a bunch of crab creatures coming at me. Save. I have like all these death situations. <laughs> so I think I saved all. Uh, there's no. I have like nothing but no way out situations. So I have to start completely from scratch. But at least I learned my lesson. It was a three month horror show. But I, I can see what you're saying as far as. I'm all for fast travel. I like it. Yeah. Whether like Red Dead Redemption, get on the stagecoach, just get me to my destination. That's cool because I was traveling from Mexico to you know the ranch, which is whatever. If you, you know, get a, ride that shit on a horse, you're yeah. talking about forty minutes. Yeah, forty minutes of your life on a horse. Barf. Yeah. I I in Red Dead Redemption. Here's the th- here's how I played that game. Right. I I don't think I've completed a single mission, uh, or if I did, it was by accident because all I did in that game was kill horses. I. Found- oh, man. <laughs> You got a horse thing going on. <laughs> yeah, man. I found every way to kill horses, even some ways the developers didn't intend to. Did you just try to ride right off a cliff with the horse? Yeah, off a cliff, but I jumped off quickly Ooh, so I could nice. see him die. Oh, and nice. then I did another one. I, this is one where the developers didn't even think of like a way to kill the horse. There's a glitch where you can run up when a wagon is, is unhitched and right. it's on the ground. It's like a little lever. So if you jump off just right, the horse's front legs will get caught in the in the front right then you can i think you can hitch the wagon or something and it flips the horse into the air and he comes down breaks his neck (laughs) jeez now that's a glitch yeah that's a that's real creative gameplay um i got another voicemail (laughs) has nothing to do with anything but here's another voicemail this is this is weird matthew mcconaughey we have a caller who's called weird matthew mcconaughey john i think you like this all right after hearing your impersonation of an irishman uh I now know why you won't do a Christopher Walken impersonation. Because that shit was garbage. (laughs) 
That guy doesn't sound like Matthew McConaughey at all. No, he doesn't. He's Not even a weird Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> some some people said he sounded like a weird Jason Segel, but uh, anyway, he said he's shitting on my impression. I did. I tried to do an Irish impression. He said it was garbage. You know, um, I've never done this for weird Matthew McConaughey, but uh oh. Of yeah. The week. Wow. Yeah. Weird Matthew McConaughey's the douchebag of the week. Nobody's safe. No Nobody's cool. safe. In Maddox is America. <laughs> here's a. <Wrong>! Here, <laughs> here's an. Here's another voicemail. Uh, this is another one from Weird Matthew McConaughey. Listen to this. Yeah, Maddox and Rucka. It had been for all those tattoos. Mr. Rogers would have came out shirtless every fucking time <laughs> and been like, "Hey, bitches, welcome to the motherfucking neighborhood." Knocking shit over, throwing shit in his fish tank, uh, tripping acid and look staring at that stoplight. <laughs> yeah, I think someone said how stoplights were made, but I think he just had a stoplight in his place. But he did show how things were made. Yeah, alright. So- that guy is so fucking high. <laughs> So baked. I like that idea about a fucked up Mr. Rogers with tattoos and flipping tables and shit. Like, let's go to fucking King. What was the king's name on the little train? Uh, the King. Uh, King Friday, right? King Friday. Yeah, that's let's right, go yeah. to fucking King Friday's house, you know? Yeah. I would see that show. That came from a couple episodes ago because Rucka called Mr. Rogers a cunt. And then Damn. people, and then people uh, espouse that. Uh, I guess it's an urban legend. How could you like, hate on Mr. Rogers? Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, wait <laughs> You're a second. Opening a You're a lot first. younger. Remember, we were talking about that Power Ranger shit. That's probably yeah. why. Like, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, and it wasn't a joke. That was just what's on. There was exactly. There like, was Electric nothing Company else on. and yeah. Mr. Rogers yeah. and Sesame Street, like, real Bloodhound quality, sure. quality yeah. programming where yeah. you actually learn shit. And yeah. then mm-hmm. that all kind of changed. What kind yeah. of quality PBS like, like, shows like, uh, did you Like the choice of cereal in, in uh, the Soviet Union, kind of like that. Well, what shows did you watch when you grew up? Oh, what, you like, know, learning pa- shows? Oh, learning shows. Uh, well, at Very Young Sesame Street is way more interesting than Electric Mr. Company. Well, I'm just saying, there's like, uh, there was a lot of glut of those. Bill Nye I was, was, pretty, was pretty funny. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, Science so like, there was good educational shit, but like Mr. Rogers was just like a boring old man standing there. And by the way, his message was stupid, saying you're the only person just like you and you're special. Like, what, what the fuck it did to society? I don't think that Mr. Rogers did that. I think, uh, I think he you helped. Know, Twitter and Facebook and like Snapchat well, have helped. Oh, yeah. Bring Society's that. definitely gotten worse since Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. And Every, everybody's important. Yeah. Exactly. I like hate images of everybody. I hate that. I, I used to think, I've changed my opinion fundamentally. Fundamentally. I used to think that... Yeah. It was a good thing for everyone to have a platform to express themselves. Like, everyone should just express themselves. And then Facebook came along, and everyone did. And now it's fucking awful. (laughs) Everyone has their stupid, shitty opinions, and they're all trite. I've read them a billion times. You want to tell me about how... Uh, I don't know, whatever whatever fucking uh, agenda, you know, the story of the week is, everybody's going to chime in on it with the exact same shit, and it's not not a brave stance. Although, Hmm. punching Nazis, brave stance, I say... Very brave. <laughs> Takes you know, courage. If you were in World War II, Rucka, <laughs> yes. I think I think I would be the one punchifying Nazis' faces. And you would be the one sitting around mm. smoking pot saying no, I think no, if man. it was actually World War II, the Maddoxes of the world at the time uh, had no problem with Hitler at all. No problem they thought, they thought he was pretty. You. They thought he was pretty cool. No, I thought Hitler was not cool. That is my official stance about Hitler. Not cool. Wow. Takes a lot of courage to say. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, apparently the seventy percent of our Nazi listeners would disagree. <laughs> Nazis, every last one of them. It's amazing how this podcast has managed I, to look, not, weed out all the Nazis Rucka, in society. Send the list to the fucking FBI, man. They're not all Nazis. Some of them, I'm sure, are Nazi sympathizers. All right. So, That's anyway, it. <laughs> moving on though. Mm. 
Uh, coming up at the end of the show, I've got some quick news headlines. But joining me again this week is my bottom commanding lieutenant moderator, Rucka Rucka Ali. Let's hear his buzzer. And John, let's hear his. All right, if you guys hear these buzzers during the show, that means either one of these gentlemen disagree with something I said, or I made a logical contradiction, which has never happened, uh, or they just want to chime in. So feel free to use that during the debate. But on to the debate this week, guys. We're going to talk about the exploitation of nerd culture and whether or not it's ruining it. John, you're a great guest for this because I've run into John. I think the first time we ran into each other was at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Right. We were like right next to each other. Our yeah. Were, yep. Right next to each other uh, years ago. And you, you've been going to lots of comic conventions since then. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, uh, especially to promote your movie, uh, The Death of Superman Lives. Right on. What happened? Yeah. So, John, uh, this is available on Showtime, right? Showtime streaming? Yeah, I licensed it to Showtime for two years, and I also have it available where you could uh, you could either you know rent it or buy the Blu-ray on TDOSLWH.com, which is our website. We own the film. Unfortunately, right, right. if you watch it on YouTube, you're watching a, 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 a version that someone illegally uploaded. And I always have to, you know, kind of, T- tell people, hey, you got to take that down. Like, I made my own fake versions, and yeah. people are like, oh, you're trolling yourself. And I was more <laughs> so like, I made a weird version that after 10 minutes, all of a sudden these weird rabbits show up. And I made another version where it's just like a bizarre, like David Lynchian trip fest. Yeah. So they're kind of fun to watch, not for the movie, but they're like, and some people are actually like, I can't believe you wasted our money. <laughs> they thought they thought they were real, but it was basically my comment on torrenting where yeah. it took me years to finally get out of debt and. A lot of people don't think about that where independent filmmakers, they're not studios where like if you rip off a studio, they're making that money back overseas and this and that. They have a lot of ways to write things off and independent filmmakers, that money goes away. And like my film was, you know, the most torrented film the the first week it came out, like lost over a million dollars. Yeah. That that would have gone towards me and the other filmmakers who invested in the film. But unfortunately, you know, that's how it works. Right. We're not the Metallicas of the world. I, I, I remember, you know, that, that happened to me as well. You know, um, as, as a creator, sometimes you work on this stuff for years of your life. Mm -hmm. I've been working on my new book for, uh, the the better part of the last two years. And, uh, Big big announcement coming soon, guys. All right, but uh, yeah, when when people do pirate this stuff, it does affect the smaller artists. You know, people like us. Uh, we are not Metallicas of the world. We are not the Madonnas. We are not. Uh, you know, it will make a financial impact to some of the artists and creators. But that goes to that's not just the people on the on the small side who are torrenting it, uh, but also the the big side, the companies. Yeah, and that's what we want to talk about today. That's a great lead into our debate: is exploitation hurting nerd culture? Now, John, I want to play a clip from the movie The Death of Superman Lives. This is a really interesting documentary you, you made about this uh, this movie that never got made in 1998, it was, right? Yeah, it was supposed to come out in 99, but it was in production from 96, 97, 98. Yeah, yeah and uh, three weeks before uh, principal photography... The, they pulled. They got uh, scared and they pulled. Uh, they pulled the plug, right? Yep. And it was. This was a movie that was supposed to be directed by Tim Burton, and it was one of the most imaginative Superman movies. I mean, imagine a Superman movie directed by Tim Burton. I mean, that right there would be crazy, right out the right out of the gates. Yes. Some and of the most imaginative creatures. Well, you know what's funny is like before our film came out, um, a lot of people would hear about this and be like, "Oh, that would have been a train wrecker." So glad we dodged a bullet. So the idea of this film was <clears throat> literally made fun of all the way up until the film came out. And then when myself and Holly Payne, Maria Hamora, a very small group of people who really worked our, kicked our asses for like over years to, to get this film done, when it finally premiered and people actually saw the film and saw the concept art and saw the direction they were trying to go, most of the people who would come up to me afterwards would say, man, I wish they made that movie. 
Because yeah. even like in hindsight, looking at it, like where we are now with the glut of superhero films, which isn't a bad thing. I think it's fun. But back then, there was like every couple of years of a film would come out. So this is before X-Men came out, where people were like, that would have been fun to see. Like even some of the weirder, more bizarre concepts, at least if you like, that's why I wanted to make the film. I wanted to see Christopher Walken and Kevin Spacey attached at the head but with two heads arguing with each other, because that to me sounded like that would be a weird Superman. And all, uh, technically, all we had at that t- time was like Superman for the quest for peace. What a hunk of garbage. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, Well, I have a clip from the movie. I just want to play the intro uh, where you're setting up what happened. This is really fascinating. Listen to this. This is a film about a superhero movie that didn't get made. In 1998, a movie called Superman Lives was in production. It was going to be directed by Tim Burton and star Nicolas Cage as Superman. I've been fascinated with this since I first heard about it. From the concept design to the various scripts to the people involved, this would have been the most craziest cosmic Superman movie ever made. So when people watch this movie, they can see how much of a clusterfuck it was on the in, behind the scenes, right? right. Um, so I, that leads us to the question, the debate this week, though, is exploitation, whether it's from the fans on the small end or the companies behind the scenes, is that ruining nerd culture? Uh, what's your stance on this? Boy, you know, it's kind of a twofold thing. I, I don't think nerd culture is being ruined specifically by um, the advancement of giant big budget films. I think that's what everybody wanted to see happen. Yeah. And it was just a, a just a natural progression from seeing a few films come out in the early 2000s. You had X-Men, you had X-Men United, you had the first Spider-Man, big budget Spider-Man movie ever come out. And that was a lot of fun. And, you, you know, if you go back in time, a lot of the younger viewers, you know, were probably like three or four when the, those the films I'm talking about were actually coming out. Right. So they're kind of used to this, like glut of superhero films like oh i got five or six every year to pick from and this one sucks and this one doesn't suck and this one's fun so I mean, back then there was literally not really a big choice so if you were a comic book nerd like myself like i had been going to conventions since i was like 12 my dad dropped me off at a star trek convention in new haven new haven connecticut uh and i got to meet like george takai and Walter Koenig, and wow. see like a trailer for Wrath of Khan, and see a weird like promotional trailer for Dune, and all this super nerdy shit, and go around and buy comic books. And there was like a vast amount of comics. Like for myself, all I had is a spinner rack across the street from a pharmacy from where I grew up. That's right. where how I got my comics. And we're not comic book stores. There was no like group of cosplaying people. Like like you're like none of this shit existed. So for myself. In college and all of a sudden being able to, you know, go to conventions and stuff. This was like a lot of fun being a comic book, science fiction, horror nerd, just into all those kinds of things. That was like, well, these are my people. I get to hang out with people and I could just talk with any one of the people who are here and instantly have a cool conversation. In fact, I can go to panels and find even more people are into the things that I'm into. So that's kind of how I got into conventions. And over the years, as the popularity of the genre, not just superhero genre, but the science fiction and fantasy genres increased with Lord of the Rings. All these kinds of things bubbled up and created these massive subcultures of geeks who, like, they might not be into Green Lantern, but they're into The Hobbit, you know? So it's like, so there's these different, uh, you know, and also video games took over massively. They had their ups, their downs. Xbox started really kicking it, like, in the early 2000s. So, I mean... Those kinds of things also grew conventions. You had E3, which is not open to the public anymore, but it used to be. So um, I think as the popularity of Comic-Cons increased, i.e. the San Diego Comic-Con, I remember I used to go and I'd have free passes. I'd just give to my friends, be like, yo, let's go to San Diego. It's so much fun. Here's a, a yellow Xeroxed piece of paper. Let's rock out and have fun. That changed over 2004, 2005. I, I saw the influx of like, 
Oh, now it's 50,000 people the next year. Now it's 75,000 people the following year, 120,000. It was just, it got crazy really quick. And all of a sudden I remember seeing a bunch of uh, programming that had nothing to do with the genre. And I'm not talking about comic books. I'm not talking about science fiction or horror or fantasy. I'm talking about shows about lawyers. Yeah. Having a panel at Comic-Con. And I was like, what is going on here? This is not Megacon or, you know, CultureCon. This is San Diego Comic-Con. And the idea of it representing all these specific kinds of genres is why a lot of people enjoyed going there. And I saw that the crossover, the idea of like, hey, this is a captive audience of a bunch of people that we can help cross-sell a lot of our other shows, you know? And I found that, you know, even though there were some funny, you know, shows that a lot of people would like, people love It's Sunny in Philadelphia. But why is it at San Diego Comic-Con? Right. It's like, yeah, they have a lot of references. And sure, Danny DeVito was the fucking penguin. I get right, it. Yeah. So you, you can like feed off of other celebrities kind of cr- past um, you know, appearances. But, you know, it's, fu- it's sunny in Philadelphia. is really funny. It's yeah. a mean-spirited, great show. But does it belong at, at the San Diego Comic-Con? In my mind, not really. But it's like that's when th- I saw the change start to happen. With And I, I use that as the least uh, offensive show. Yeah. I, I don't even have a problem with that show being there because it's so funny and referential. Right. And it's, it's, a, it's a genre-breaking kind of show. Yeah. But the shows were like, that's about two lawyers who are fighting crime. It's like, that's not... It doesn't belong here. And I don't right. understand why procedurals and those kinds of shows have crept in to the Comic-Con programming. I think the exploitation of people who want to be part of something big, like San Diego Comic-Con, has led people to bring in shows and other things that don't have anything to do with it. Right. Well, as an outsider looking in, because um, I'm you know, i like, like nerdy in my own way, but I'm like not in this whole world. But I assume everything has a comic book based on it. Like... I heard like Breaking Bad had a panel at Comic Con, even though it's a show about cooking meth. But I assume there's a comic book series. Nope. No, nope. no. Well, then let's make. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm I, sure people would buy it. But I hear what you're saying. There's, like I said, there's that that started in like 2005 and 2006. And 2006. Just, yeah, that was the yeah. year. So, so I that's the first year I attended Comic Con was 2006. That's the that's the year that the Alphabet of Manliness came out and. That was the first year that I felt justified in going to Comic-Con, mm-hmm. not because of my book, but because I also released a comic book that year. And I didn't, for years I'd heard about Comic-Con, and I thought, well, that's a really cool thing to go to, but I have no reason to be there because I don't have a comic book. Right. But finally, when I wrote one, I thought, okay, this is it. This is the year I'm going to go down. I'm gonna, you got triggered, Rucka? I actually, actually hit that by accident, but sustained. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. So that was the year that I went down there because I had my comic book, and that was a, a big, exciting thing for me because I thought, wow, I can finally meet comic book fans. And what I felt as a creator, and I'm going to argue the other side, how exploitation isn't hurting the industry in a minute, John, but I want to say a point towards your, your case, and we'll get back to you in a second, Rucka. But when I went down there, I had these huge lines of people lined up to buy my comic book to the point where it was bigger than some of the bigger uh, draws at the at the show on the floor. There was there was uh, some at one point like a forty five minute wait uh, in line for people who wanted the comic book. Even Matt Groening's uh, sons were there. So people were waiting in line for my comic book, right? And what happened is the Comic Con staff, the the convention staff came down every single time and cleared out the line in front of my booth. They said, you're not allowed to have a line in front of your booth. I said, well, where are people supposed to stand? How am I supposed to? I mean, I have a booth. Where's pe-? They're like, well, it's a fire hazard. And then I thought back to that Mitch Hedberg joke, which is, I think it's Mitch Hedberg. He said, 
if you're if you're flammable, you're never going to be obstructing a fire <laughs> a fire exit. You're always going to move. But anyway, they kept shooing away my fans, and it was kind of hostile towards them. And I, and they continued to do this year after year. But in the big booths, in front of the Sci-Fi Network, or in front of Warner Brothers, or some of these other big networks that have you know bigger presence at Comic Con, it's always a bottleneck, and they never shoo them out of the way. It's because they hold the lion's share of the sh- uh, the show's floor. Um, Rucka, what what did you want to say when I mentioned the comic oh, book? Let me chime in. Oh really yeah, quick. Mm-hmm. that's my chime. <laughs> that's your <laughs> chime. Yeah. Uh, but let me let me play devil's advocate to that sure. because I think uh, like you're really lucky. Like you're showing up at Comic Con in 2006 and you have lines. Like I bought a booth in 2003 because I self published my very first comic. Just being a nerd, no one knew who I was. I was like editing the Orlando Jones TV show. I spent all my money that I made as an editor to make my own independent comics. Took cost me like thirty five grand, and then got a booth. Literally broke myself to make my self publish my own comics. Went there, nobody gave a fuck. Why? Because no one knew who I was. They would like walk by, look at my boot, look at my comic, look at me, walk by. I'd be like, hey, take a look. It's a this is a science fiction anthology, and here's this crazy Bigfoot comic. I made two a horror comic and a weird science fiction comic. Horrible sales. I also had a science fiction short film that I released through Film Threat called The Removers. It's just totally a weird, surreal, telepathic action adventure. I'm crazy in that back then to even think that that would sell. <laughs> but it's like, you know, people would look at it, they'd look at me. It's, it's, honestly, it's like that's the horrible truth of like our society is it's a lot harder to sell anything unless you're a known quantity, unless you've done something. So sure. whatever you had done before you showed up in 2006, you had a group of people who liked what you were doing. Yeah. See, I, I was just a nobody. Yeah. I'm still a nobody, but you know, less of a degree of a nobody from back in 2003. So it's a, it is a it's a hard thing. I would say for anybody who's getting in and starting out to think that they could just jump into San, into San Diego Comic Con, even at Artist Alley, and be able to make that money back. It's incredibly expensive yeah, now. It's very difficult. So I I wouldn't argue that um, the exploitation of comic books, you know, the culture of comic books has necessarily hurt the fans. It's helped fans, but fans have to be also hyper aware of like, you're not going to just make money if you're doing this stuff. Even if you love what you're doing and you're self-publishing <laughs> and making stuff, you're going to have to put in the time and effort to grow a fan base. Yeah. And only then will that kind of thing, probably three, four, five years of of just your time devoting to it. And then what if you don't have a fan base back then? Do you give up? Probably not because perseverance is the way you win in anything. Right. Not giving up is the way you win in anything. It's like, if you give up, guess what? You never got a chance to be that future self of yourself in four years because you fucking gave up. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's the perception of what your abilities are and then the perseverance of it, I think. So, what, mm. what did you want to say, Ruckham? Well, I guess uh, where I was going is like, um, for, again, from an outsider looking in. So, like, as a guy who's not super into any of this, like, I, got, I, I buy comic books because, like, they look cool on, on the coffee table. Um, so like from my point of view, like something like Ninja Turtles came from a comic book and then something like the Simpsons became a comic book. So kind of like from my point of view, I see this kind of rotation and revolving door. So when I hear that a show about lawyers has a panel, um, at comic con, I don't assume it's a captive audience. To me, it just looks like there's fans of, uh, of comics that might be interested in this, and some people thought it would be a good opportunity to showcase their show to an audience that might be interested. That's just what it looks like to me. Well, creating fans. I, I, you're half right. It's the studio saying, let's create fans by showcasing this thing that maybe nobody knows about, but have it at this super pop culture event. 
And just by default, they are going to, if they have the right actors involved or they have the right uh, space that's involved, because remember there's counter programming to like game of Thrones. There's like the three day wait outside to this lawyer show called blue stain has nobody waiting for it. Well, let's sit in there and wait for the next panel. A lot of those things used to happen, but now it's pretty much every panel has like a three day waiting line. So it's crazy. Yeah. So for those who've never been to any kind of comic con at all, Mikey, have you ever been to a, con- a comic convention? I went to comic con a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. What was your impression? How'd, how'd you like um, it? I know it's getting way bigger every year. I know it's, yeah. um, I think it's cool though, compared to VidCon, which I've gone to pretty much every year, that feels like it's turning into a real shit show in, in, in the worst possible way. <laughs> like it's getting less creative, it's getting more industrial in, 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 in a bad way, in a factory line type mm. setting kind of way. But Comic Con, I feel like there's so many. The reason it's growing by the numbers um, every year is because how many different types of people can go and enjoy themselves just the same as somebody else who has nothing in common with that person. I like so what I you said because. Ultimately, what San Diego Comic-Con has transformed into is a gateway to people who might not be into comics, but a way and experience and a chance to experience the world of not just comic books, but fantasy and science fiction. So I look at San Diego Comic-Con as a much more open-ended way of having your friends who might not be super nerds like yourself reading comics. It's a way for them to experience the fun that you always have. And they might pick up a graphic novel or they might get into something that they weren't because they had a great time at Comic-Con, at San Diego Comic-Con. I look at all the other conventions that are all across not only America, but the globe now as a great way to experience and try to, number one, sell your product if you have something. But number two, to get cool comics or to see previews of different things or to meet the people like the writers and artists or maybe the TV stars of things that you enjoy. Those kinds of opportunities are at every convention now. Literally, we have so many conventions all across America. Now, every month there's a brand new convention somewhere. So I look at San Diego Con as like now because of its growth to the 150,000 and beyond, as as well as the New York Comic Con, you have both of those as like these bases where people can go and enjoy the idea of comic book land or whatever, the world of the science fiction genre or horror or, or fantasy, and most importantly, comic books as a way to express all of those things. I, I look at that as a I used to, like I said, in 2006, seven, eight, it's getting irritated with like, why are these people coming in? It's like when you're into a band and only you and four friends are like, yo, this is my band. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're talking to me and my friends. All of a sudden that band blows up and everybody's into it. Everybody has t-shirts. Your enemy in high school is wearing the same t-shirt of the band that you used to listen to. You feel betrayed by the band and that's not a betrayal. That's what every band's dream is, is to get over and that everyone now is able to enjoy their songs and everyone, whether they experience it the same way as you or not, whether they get it as the same way as you're not, that's not what it's about. It's like spreading that word now that, oh my God, all these people, like I used to be into a band called U2, boy. And it was like, nobody fucking knew about them. All of a sudden they exploded when I was in high school. And I was like, I felt like, man, this is my band. You don't understand what fucking Sunday, bloody Sunday means you fuck. You know, but guess what? That's not on me. That's on everyone else getting into something that you might have had a head start on, but don't hate on them because they're into it. So I feel the same way as comic books. A lot of people are like, they're fake nerds or they're not real nerds or this. You know what? It's better to just be accept them and be like, hey, I'm so glad that you're part of my world now. I'm so glad that you're participating in the world that I fucking love. So I kind of look at that as San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, or that kind of Way, the, the gateway in to helping a lot of people understand why so many of us 
are into it and hopefully we you know gather millions more to our following <laughs> you know so john that leads me to the other side of the debate i want to argue how exploitation is actually helping nerd culture because look the bottom line is with all of these industries all these companies they need to make money and money is the thing that lubricates the entire industry totally I would would even go a step further and say the origin of all of these, it was not probably done for money in the first place. Like some guy didn't say, I'm going to create a comic book and that's going to make me a fortune Mm -hmm. because most people don't think it will. But, you know, for it to be pressed and sold, I mean, you know, the market played a role in it from day one. I I can understand that the 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 dicks, you know, the 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 assholes in the suits who don't give a fuck about the art really can dumb it down and ruin it. You know, and you see that with like reboots of certain movies and franchises, but, you know, kind of, but for the, for us to ever have heard of any of these franchises in the first place, there was, uh, definitely, um, there, there were financiers and there, you know, the market was at, at work to begin with. Well, it was a giant risk when, if you go back in time, like only 18 years when they were making the X, the very first X-Men movie, everyone was scared shitless that they were going to lose all their money. They're like, who's going to see this? fucking movie about mutants yeah. based on some comic that nobody knows about like remember no one knew who iron man was until iron man came out like in 2007 you could have pulled people and they'd be like what is iron man it's a black sabbath song probably would have won more yeah. so than it's a guy in an iron suit no one knew who these characters were really except for like hardcore fans most people you could say knew who spider-man was and who know who batman was or Superman, but that's really because Batman and Superman had these giant, massive films, and Spider-Man was just really popular, not only just on the electric company, mm-hmm. Callback Son, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> Spider-Man is just a very popular character who crossed over through Underoos. It's not just comics, it was cartoon and animated series, so... Oh. You have these iconic characters and then the much lesser known characters, let alone all the other characters that are from like Image, like Spawn or Hellboy from Dark Horse. Yeah. All these characters that are even lesser known, all of those characters eventually got movies made of them to varying yeah. degrees of success. Now you got Ant-Man and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, right. which is, can we just uh, talk about how much of a fucking piece of shit Guardians of the Galaxy is? Are you insane? I, <laughs> I knew I okay, knew you would have Okay, now we finish. found a debate. Let's yeah. That's right. Okay, great. Because I... Hated Guardians. I've been triggered. John's been triggered. All right. And I expected that. And I expect everyone in the world to shit on me. Again, it's Maddox versus the universe. All right. I, I'm a- not going to shit on him. It's going to take a very long air fart okay, in fine. your general direction. Yeah, that's fine, John. That's fine. You're allowed You're allowed to have some opinions that are wrong. And this is one of them. Because Guardians of the Galaxy is the most hokey, hackneyed, trite, garbage, contrived, piece of shit series. I, I hated the movie. I ha- Look, I never read the comic. But uh, the movie hated, was garbage. Hated I hated the movie. Hated the movie. What, what did you hate about the movie? Everything. Fuckface. Uh, the who's Chris Pratt? Fuckface. You, you hated Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Starface. Star. Star Lord. So I'm just kidding with you. I know what his name is. <laughs> A star, so, so yeah, Star. Like so, so fuckface Chris Pratt. I hated uh, because look, I am so tired of this device being used. All right, the juxtaposition of old era '70s music. And future tech. Oh, oh wow, you're so creative. Oh, look at you playing the. Oh, wait, BGs. how can you be tired of that? When what? Uh, what name four other movies that did that? Oh, fuck successfully. It. <laughs> uh, Watchmen. They did that shit in Watchmen. Okay, too. that's one. Okay, they did that shit in Metal Gear Solid Five. That game that I actually like. I'm but... not talking about games. I'm talking about movies. Same thing. It disqualified. <laughs> okay, look, I can't think of f- four or five off the top of my head, but I see it in so many commercials. Oh, you know what? The commercials for uh, the the intro to Borderlands. Borderlands That's a video 2. game. I'm talking about movies. 
You know what, man? The line is blurred, really. It's, it's really blurred fuzzy. for you. It's, a, it's blurred <laughs> it's for you because of your shit. hatred. Come on. It's, all, it's influenced hatred everything. Hatred has clouded your vision, Maddox. Oh, gosh. Come yeah. to the light side of the force. Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, and you know what else I'm tired of in Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, the, the fucking dumb... Uh, it, it's oh wait, you're tired of originality? No, it's not original. Oh, I can see that. Oh, jeez, bummed not about bummed out about creativity, like talking raccoons and trees. Oh, yeah, real original story where some guy's trying to destroy the galaxy, and then by the way, and they, they didn't even talk about destroying the galaxy. They destroyed one planet, Xandar, the dumbest fucking name for a planet, Xandar. And then they have um, it could have been called Moonblex. That's kind of dumber. Moon Moonblex Moon, Moon or Cryvlog. <laughs> that would be dumber. I would take Cryvlog. That's a that's a because it has two words in there: cry and long, and then the the or letter cry long, cry long. Yeah, uh, let, let's try to bring this back somewhere <laughs> near <laughs> where the premise. I like that there's passion here. Yeah, okay. Th- this is this is more okay. This is more point in John's favor uh-huh. in that exploitation is ruining nerd culture. Now, but but back to the money aspect of it, right? Okay, the rising tide lifts all ships, and as the industry grows larger, that's going to create more jobs. That's going to create more creators, and that's going to employ more of us who have aspirations to become comic book writers and comic book artists. I mean, how much how much easier would it have been to produce Metalocalypse or any of the series, the animated series that you've worked on, John, in your past, or even The Death of Superman Lives? You had to self-finance that, right? right? How much easier would it have been if money wasn't an issue? It would have been a lot easier, but I think sometimes uh, the creativity comes without having the money, and then you struggle to try to get through things. I mean, if I made that film the way I originally wanted to make it in uh, when I first ran the Kickstarter in 2013, it would be quite a different film. It was having to wait to get to the interviews. It had, was having to wait for Tim Burton to finally be able to communicate with him, for him to wait for a few months to feel if he wanted to do it, then to go out to England to actually meet him before he actually even agreed to do it. So the, all those elements, if I just had the money, I was like, no, he doesn't want to do it. We got to move forward. We have to finish this because we have a release date on X. Let me go back and argue a little bit about Guardians. I think that <laughs> film, to me at least, was a real challenge for someone like it's coming out of Marvel to like say, look, we could go with another uh, Hulk or we could go with another Iron Man, but let's try something that is going to push the boundaries a little bit. Let's go with a seventies comic that no one knows anything about without with a a talking raccoon and a tree and a bunch of weird characters from the seventies. And let's try to take that and make that a giant big budget. Let's try to make that our star Wars. And I think that me personally, I feel they succeeded in a lot of ways. That movie is the new star Wars to a lot of kids wherein they didn't get that Star Wars from Phantom Menace. This is a brand new, exciting universe to enjoy. And I think it opened up a lot of, at least for myself, the possibility of seeing even weirder shit. Like Guardians 2 has Ego the Living Planet. Never in a million years, ever, would I have said, yeah, I'm definitely going to be seeing a movie with Ego the fucking Living Planet in it. (laughs) I mean, Monster Magnet had a song about that. That's as close as I ever got to hearing anybody talk about Ego the Living Planet. But I'm, I'm saying some people didn't like it. They're in the minority, and I, I'm pretty. But you know, even if you said it's 50-50, some people hated it, some people loved it. I love it because it did that thing that a lot of other films aren't doing, taking chances. They took a chance. They took a $100 million chance on a film that could have flopped. Be like, I mean, think about all the things that could have went wrong. I know you didn't like it, but a lot of people loved it. So yeah. think about all those things that could have went wrong if that movie didn't hit it like it did. So I, I think taking chances, especially with giant corporations – it should be applauded, whether you think yeah. the movie sucks or not. No, they're, I agree, take, yeah. they're taking a chance. Some people didn't like it. Some people did. I think they took a chance with Ant-Man. I mean, I never sure. thought I'd see an Ant-Man movie, but they did it in a fun, 
the correct way. And I think that's why when you have someone who might not just be like a person like, uh, you know, doing things just for comic nerds. I think Kevin Feige is a businessman. He's also got a plan. He's looking at ways to adapt these properties that come from a comic book background and make them cross over to a larger platform. So I think in the business world, I think Marvel's really doing a really good job on that on that front. I think getting the money to do things like you were talking about, as far as case in point, my documentary or independent filmmakers, that's a tough point right now because we're at that crossroads where literally the budgets have kept going down. Originally, like maybe you go 10 years back, you'd be like, yo, an independent film was 5 million or, you know, around five to 10 million. Now you're talking about $500,000. That's what an independent, that's as much as they're feeling comfortable in investing in a small, no name property. Then you all of a sudden bounce to 15 million. And then that's what they quote unquote are calling independent films. The, the true films that no, the people who nobody knows about are making are there's no budget. Literally, you're making the movie almost for free. Yeah. And then they're marketing it very minimally online and usually it goes right to Netflix, sure. right to DVD. It doesn't even have a theatrical release because in order to compete in our landscape right now, you have to spend between 20 to $50 million in advertising in order to break through the public with all the others. Like think about all the giant blockbuster films that are coming out just in the next few months, not even superhero films. I'm talking about Kong Island, Ghost in the, Ghost in the Shell, all these different big $100 million ventures that you're going to just see tons of ad space, commercials, billboards, every, on buses, wraps, all these kinds of crazy advertising that an independent filmmaker would never get even one bus wrap. So is exploitation then helping because of the money is being poured into creating and promoting these movies? Exploitation most certainly is helping because it in in at least in the creative world of television, movies and media, it does I wouldn't say trickle down is not the right prop the, that that doesn't work for anything. Careful, what Reagan. It, I know, right? <laughs> that trickle down theory is bullshit trickle up. Um but what does happen is it expands the media. It expands the ideas for making interesting science fiction films. Yeah, Independence Day Regurgence or Resurgence, whatever you want to fucking call it, was a horrible <laughs> film. I mean, but everybody knows that. Then you get a, a few films that are actually really cool, like Arrival, which is basically the anti-Independence Day. It's an intelligent science fiction film. All of a sudden, it gets an Oscar nomination. Those are the kinds of things that will then advance other science fiction stories to get that chance, to get that possibility. Boo, I say Godzilla is intelligent science fiction. Oh, I thought Godzilla. you were going to debate with him about what. So he's now on the side that exploitation is yes. helping matters, and what do you have to say, master debater? Well, I want to say is this episode is proudly brought to you by Candid, the app that lets you speak your mind freely, available on iOS and Android. Guys, thank you so much for checking out Candid. It's really, uh, people have downloaded this app. John, it's an anonymous chat app that lets you join and have a discussion with people, and it creates a pseudonym for you every single time you comment. And a pseudonym is always some kind of adjective and an animal. And you have some surprisingly fruitful discussions on there. I thought if it was completely anonymous, it would just be full of trolls and shitheads right. and Nazis like Richard Spencer, who is definitely a Nazi and no one disputes that. But uh, <laughs> it turns out... <laughs> It turns out that there's some really interesting discussions on there. I've created a group called Madcast. If you if you download the app, join the group Madcast and have the discussion there. It's super interesting. I love seeing some of the discussions that go on there, and uh, so, some of them are surprisingly deep and uh, you know very 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 um, productive conversations. Excited Tiger says, "Yeah, basically, yeah, excited Tiger. I'm yeah, excited talking tiger. raccoon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> talking <laughs> raccoon. The Hollywood uh, the Hollywood suits are not going to censor you on this right. app. Crying no, Tree says." 
No, but this app, the way that it does moderation, it does auto moderation. So it tries to to suss out the people who are shitheads and trolls, and then it deletes their comments. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So it it, it does. Uh, I and I've heard that it's kind of like an experiment to try to develop uh, algorithms for Google and Facebook and some of these bigger companies who are having problems with auto moderation in their comments. So. Sure, the bubble. Yeah, you know, yeah, what well, bubble are you bubble, in? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yeah. So check out the the app, guys. It's Candid. I'll link to it on the website. Thank you so much, to Candid, for sponsoring the show. But moving on, I want to argue a point. So you you've actually made a case for my side of the debate, which is exploitation is good. How about this? For exploitation is bad. That it is creating a worse type of fandom. It is creating a worse type of industry. The bigger the industry gets, I feel like the more vanilla it gets as well. Mm, well, because, yeah. You know, you have a you have a point there because I've been experiencing a lot of people either like the you're a Marvel zombie or like why do you hate DC? Like it's a yeah. black and white situation where it's more so like uh, I love cinema, I love films, and I love movies that work. And some movies work better than others. You know, uh, case in point, you know, a lot of people like myself didn't like Batman v Superman, uh, the oh, theatrical garbage. cut. Yeah, but I actually enjoyed the ultimate cut that they kind of rearranged stuff and put thirty minutes more back into the film. Now, could I have cut another thirty minutes out that was still in there? Yes, but those additional thirty minutes helped make the actual tone and the flow of the film, at least for myself, work better. Where I didn't hate the film anymore, I just felt it was like not a true successful film. It was a good film. It had it had. It had its heart in the right place, but it just it kind of swayed off too much. No one can ever really. I know a lot of people argue about the Martha thing being a good thing. I think it's just a, a horrible idea gone wrong. What? Oh, the Martha thing is where Superman's mom and Batman's mom both were named Martha. Yeah, which is that's comics gone. accurate, but they but that's the Superman is basically like saying save Martha, you know, to say to it creates this thing for Batman like a trigger for himself where he's like oh my god we're you know we're he's human just even though he's an alien but I never bought it because it's like the whole thing with uh, Bruce Wayne is he watched his building in Metropolis go down amongst thousands and hundreds who knows how many people actually died in Metropolis when those guys were fighting and that's why he's like we've got to take him out because if there's a one percent chance of him going rogue the whole world can and all of a sudden because his mom their moms have the same name it's like now we're buddies it was just too fast and It just didn't work. Uh, there was a way to do it, but that, unfortunately, they should have kind of focused, in my in my opinion, they should have focused on Metropolis and not created this bullet thing in Africa and all this these kind of side stories that the film just should have been streamlined. So case in point, you know, a lot of people argue about Suicide Squad or DC being like, you know, you're picking on those films because Marvel, you know, is you think Marvel's better. I just think Marvel's had eight years since 2008. They're going to be on like nine years now making films. Yeah, they've had a couple of misses as well. I mean, The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton didn't really work. Yeah, I saw that uh, one. Well, the Hulk so, before it was even worse. Well, The Angry Hulk is unwatchable with movie. the weird Nick Nolte, I'm your father, with electrical bubbles and fucking madness. Yeah, that movie's horrible. But I'm just saying, like, there's been so many bad missteps in Marvel films that they're finally getting it right. DC is the flip side. They actually had a bunch of really cool Superman films and Batman films in the 70s and 80s and then kind of languished out by going cheapo and kind of flipped out with Batman and Robin and Superman 4 and stuff, then have had to keep doing redos that just didn't work. So they're in a weird they're in a weird position right now. But there's a ton of other films that are being made that I think are completely worth talking about that have nothing to do with Marvel or DC. But I think what you've brought up is this deci- decisive factor group of people who want to say, you're wrong. You know, you're 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 just thinking this one way. And this, Well, John, you're wrong. All right. <laughs> 
How am I wrong? Well, I just want to end on this one last point about the exploitation, how it's, it's potentially bad for the industry and creators. Let's go back to the Comic-Con thing, because here's what a lot of people don't understand, is it is becoming prohibitively expensive to showcase at these conventions yes. for creators. Like you and I, we're small creators. And when the booth itself costs upwards of $3,000, guys, $3,000 yep. for four days of a booth yep. and that booth space. And the prices keep going up and up and up. Hotels, six seventy a night, yeah. six seven hundred dollars a oh night. Yeah, Jesus the Christ. hotels. And then to rent a chair at the San Diego Comic-Con, I think it costs $75 per day to rent a folding chair. Yep. Bring wow. your own chair. Yeah, bring your own chair. But guys, it is so difficult. And the reason it's so difficult is because the industry is growing and more and more people are vying for that space. So when the smaller guys like us start to peter out, and you're starting to see that, all the smaller, a lot of the smaller booths uh, from oh, yeah. from years before, I don't see them at Comic-Con anymore because they can't afford it. I can't, it's, it's gotten to the point where I can't even fill my car with enough merchandise to take down there to sell to break even. That's how difficult it's become. So, in other words, people would buy a car full of shit, but you just can't fit it in your car? Yeah, I've, I've sold everything I brought down in years past and still not bro- break any... Uh, so maybe any. have your buddy load his car up too? I mean, you're complaining because there's that many more people willing to buy your shit that it costs you much more money to even rent the space? Well, uh, sure, it's so, no, it's so simple I think paper. what he's saying is like, like he could sell an incredible amount of, of product and still not break even. And so I don't not- think he's complaining about it. He's, what he's saying is like, like I, I sold a ton of Superman Blu-rays. You know, like... An incredible amount. We were overly happy. We barely broke even because it's so expensive when you oh, add in the, the hotels, yeah. the rental of the yeah. booth, just the food, just just in general, everything so being why, there. why do the big shots want that space then if, if selling shit won't break Eyeballs. Be, well, yeah, because they can afford to write it off as an advertising expenditure. And also, the big shots can afford to do drop shipping. They can afford to have entire pallets of their uh, merchandise sh- uh, um, shipped down there have personnel on hand, on staff, to unload all that shit. I mean, look, you could say, okay, well, you know, have your buddy bring down a car full of merchandise. Great. Then what happens when the price goes up more? Then bring another buddy. Then the, but or, the, not, or maybe I mean, Comic-Con has just become, like, the new commercial. It is. It's, like it's a, new, a free commercial for all yeah, of the people there. So 150,000 people, free commercial. Well, my, so my thing here is, like, maybe the name Comic-Con used to mean... You know, your local band's playing at Warp Tour, and now Warp Tour is fucking Paramore and fucking, uh, fucking Justin Bieber or whoever the fuck's headlining now. So that means a new festival might pop up that's more local and cheaper, and like maybe Comic Con itself is not going to be, um, the place for the mom and pop comic book shop, but, um, that doesn't mean the culture itself is, is under attack. It just means they're, the, it just means the uh, the major companies have taken over it. It means the oh, culture sure. has expanded to a point where the demand is higher than what you know the small fries can deal with. So I think that's one of the things that you know we're dealing with now is like we might have been shaved out of that Comic Con world yeah. because because the the popular you know entertainment which you know not just comic books but all of the entertainment like the movies and the television shows that's what people are going to for San Diego Comic Con now look at Entertainment Weekly they have a gigantic party that's the biggest party and it's like only stars are invited because that's and me and, and Maddox gets to go but I'm just saying it's one of those things where it's like it's a giant party and yeah. it's and that's what San Diego Comic Con is now it's the culture con 
of the world. So that it became that in the last 10 years is something pretty amazing, especially if you are a comic book fan or a genre fan. So it's kind of one of those things where, like we were talking about with the band type of thing, you have to just accept that it's changed and transformed and look at it like, look, that's that's become this other thing now, just like New York Comic Con has also expanded and transformed. So there's the smaller conventions where you and I can take our stuff yeah. that's not going to cost us $9,000 for a weekend and we're able to make some money back while we pedal our wares. Well, and it's become less unique too as it expands because as you push out the smaller guys like me, like at my booth a couple years ago, the biggest draw to my booth, I, I advertised this. I said, hey guys, stop by my booth and there's a big cutout of me taking a shit and I have a hole in the toilet and you can put your face in it. And people are like, uh, so what is this? Are you selling something? I'm like, no, just, uh, you know, people can come by and take a picture of me shitting in your, in your face. <laughs> and they did. They That's came awesome. by and they loved, and it was such a fun, unique experience for people at Comic-Con because they came by and they weren't being sold to. I was just doing this thing for fun. I've had, I, I always bring my buddy down, uh, Austin Blank has actually been a guest on the show. And he usually dresses up like a baby or a Princess Leia. I you, saw the baby. You, I think it was a year ago, or I think it was yeah, a, year a couple of years ago. Yeah. He always does something crazy like that. And I have him come by the booth because it's just so much fun to have him around. And we sit around. One time, I remember, <laughs> I remember he was sitting in front of my booth in a lawn chair with a, a bathrobe on, a Viking helmet, a Viking beard, and then like just underwear, no shirt. And he was just sitting there, like, not moving at all. So people thought he was asleep or a mannequin. Mm. And then this lady walked by with her baby uh, uh, on her chest in, like, one of those little uh, wraps. And he goes, hey, nice baby. <laughs> and the lady was so startled by it. She stopped, and she's like, what the, what the fuck is this? And, the, and my, my sign behind me was hanging on twine, and it was off balance. It was off kilter. It was, it was unbalanced. And, and my, my booth looked like shit. My poster's, like, knocked over. I'm not... They're like, what are you, what are you doing here at Comic-Con? And I just let her started chatting with this lady. I couldn't be less outside my demo. Right. Like, she is, she is the least likely customer I could possibly sell to at Comic-Con. She walked away with two of my comics and both my books. Nice. Because, and because I just had a real genuine conversation with her, she got to know me. She's like, wow, this is, uh, this is fascinating what you're doing here. This is totally different experience than anything else at Comic-Con. Now, you, by expanding it and becoming this commercial thing that's exploiting the culture and becoming, and becoming so much more vanilla, you're going to start losing those unique voices like mine. Yes. That's the problem. Wow, you're so unique. You know, fuck you, Rucka. No, fuck you. You're making this emotional Guys, can't argument. we just get along? Me and my friend went there, and he was dressed like Princess Leia, and I met this lady, and I'm not going to be able to meet another one like that next year because Comic-Con is too expensive. What the fuck are you talking about? I, I made my, my, my case, and you gave me a zero non-rebuttal. You didn't even make a fucking case. I made a case that you're going to be pushing out people. Oh how many experiences gosh. like there are so there? So sentimental. Hey, well, no, but seriously, hey, how but many? Seriously, yeah. What you're talking about, it is true, but it's also something that's transformed. Like what your experience you had at San Diego Con, you can have at all these other conventions. San Diego Con has also pushed out comic book dealers because yeah. no one's buying comics anymore. No. Guess it's, what? Isn't yeah. that messed up? It's called San Diego Comic Con, and no one is buying comics. Like people are like giant dealers are like. I'm not making enough money to bring all these comics here because people are just like dressed in cosplay and looking at stuff and not buying anything. Right. Yeah. Well, guess what? That's that's indicative of a giant sea change. Yeah. So when you see that with San Diego Comic Con, 
You're not going to San Diego Comic-Con to buy the latest CGC 9.8, you know, you know, comic book. You're not even going there to get comics in general. You're going there to look at stuff and it's more of an exhibit. And yep. I think that's kind of yeah. what it is. And the sooner all of us understand that and realize, look, if we're going to sell our things and you want to have those kinds of experiences, because even the gal that you talked to who bought your comic wasn't going there specifically to find something unique like yours. She was going there to experience what Comic-Con's all about. And if that is actually changed, which it has. Yeah, it has. It has completely yeah. changed. It's better to just be like, all right, well, San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con, for that matter, are these kinds of experiences. I'm not going to be mad at them for changing because that's just the natural progression of the way culture has moved forward. There's all these other conventions that are exactly about what you're talking about, where it's like, I want to find out what the new thing is. What are the new people? What are they making? Yeah. So I think those are the ones that you want to embrace and and, uh, and push. I hope so. Well, I'm interested to see what the people think on the website. Uh, vote on it at madcastmedia.com, guys. I'm actually curious because I, this has been, I feel like, a really, a really strong debate on both sides of the issue. I can see pros and cons of both sides. You'll find out what I really think. And I want to see what the audience thinks before and after listening to the debate if your opinion was changed. Uh, but moving on, guys. I've got some quick news headlines from around the web. It's not often these days that we see... Good news in the headlines. Mm. I wanted to bring this story in. This is from 2016, and I just heard about it the other day. And I can't believe this isn't bigger news. This is from USC. Experimental stem cell therapy helps paralyzed man regain use of arms and hands. Holy shit, guys. Do you, yeah. Can you believe it? A 21-year-old man who suffered a cervical spine injury in March gained significant improvement in his motor function at the Keck Hospital of USC. Keck. <laughs> Keck Hospital. What an unfortunately named right. hospital in this in this day and age. Keck Hospital. Oh, the jokes. Uh, so at the Keck Hospital, <laughs> <laughs> the Keck Hospital uh, on March March sixth, twenty sixteen, just shy of his twenty first birthday, a guy named Christopher Bozen of Bakersfield suffered a traumatic injury to his cervical spine when his car fishtailed on a wet road, hit a tree, and slammed into a telephone pole. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's pretty tough. No, because there's a tree and then there's a telephone pole. Yeah. He like, he, if you just ended it, his car slipped and hit a tree, like, I can already see him getting paralyzed from that. But, like, the telephone pole was just, like, thrown into there like someone was making it up. Like, yeah. like you were making it up as you go to, like, just ruin it. Like, your God just seeing, how bad can I fuck this with this guy? Just throwing a telephone pole. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty tragic what happened. But two weeks after surgery, Bozen began to show signs of improvement. Three months later, he's able to feed himself, use his cell phone, write his name, operate a motorized wheelchair, and hug his friends and family. Improved sensation and movement in both arms and hands also makes it easier for him to care for himself and to envision a life lived more independently. That is amazing, fantastic mm. news. I am so happy. I, I couldn't believe this was not a bigger story. Right. right. How did they? How did they? He, he regain his arms and legs again? using stem cell stem therapy. Cells. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it is kind of that weird thing where like so many people are against stem cell research, yeah. where it's just like you know, there's also people who are like against replicating uh, animal meat. Like they're like, we can grow animal meat. People are like, oh, that's so disgusting. I'm like, is that more disgusting or less disgusting than eating an animal that's been tortured for like four years, and then murdered so that you could eat it? What's worse? I mean, I think stem cells are like any kind of anything that helps people in a bad situation like this guy is like literally no motor functions and using something that's not hurting anyone, creating stem cell technology to duplicate stem cells. 
and helping them. That's it's fantastic. You're right. I mean, I remember just reading about that same uh, so, and also yeah. another similar story of someone suffering from ALS and getting stem cell uh, therapy yeah. like the last couple of weeks ago. It's read amazing. about that. It's amazing that you know I don't like to be a single issue voter, but that to me when I look at a candidate's pledges and in an election is the most important issue for me is whether or not they are opposed to or in favor of stem cell research. Sounds like a good uh, topic for an episode. Yeah, it's, it's actually coming up. We'll have it at some point. I'm not going to argue against it because I'm all for stem cell. Yeah. I would drink a stem cell smell. I can't even speak. <laughs> a stem smell smoothie is what I'm trying to oh, say. We'll have yeah. you on and Maddox could tell you why stem cell research is wrong. Okay, I could, but moving on, here's another story. British University is sorry after wrongly giving students 300 coffee cups worth of caffeine. <laughs> Jesus fucking wow. Christ. It's from studyinternational.com. I found this on Reddit. It said, the University of Northumbria. <laughs> well, there's your first mistake. Northumbria. Sounds like a, bo- sounds like a, po- a body part. What college did you go yeah. to? Utah. Uh, Northumbria. <laughs> next to Cl- Cervical College. Yeah, next to Cervical. Next to the Urethra College. North Urethra. Anyway, Northumbria has apologized. The University of Northumbria has apologized for an experiment on caffeine that went horribly wrong after they were found to have given two students the equivalent of 300 cups of coffee each. Mm. The fine of 400,000 pounds was slapped on the university for the life-threatening effects caused by the experiment blunder, the BBC reported. Alex Rosetta and Luke Parkin, both sports science students, had volunteered to participate in a test to measure the effects of caffeine on exercise. When the lab miscalculated their dosage, they ended up taking the equivalent of 300 cups of coffee. In one sitting. In one sitting, yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah, they lived. They said they were hospitalized and placed under intensive care for dialysis after a glitch led to violent side effects. Jesus. (laughs) They got a lot of work done. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, that could have been you. You could have been done with your book and then some. Oh, shit. You know, I tried that. I tried taking way too much caffeine one time, and I found my upper limit. I did. I did. I had, I had a an assignment in college, and uh, it was due the next day. It was, I think, a final, and I just decided, you know what? Fuck it. I don't need sleep. I didn't sleep the night before. I'm not going to sleep tonight either. Fuck it. I went to the store. I bought three of those little Starbucks double shots. Mm-hmm. Pounded those. Then I saw this other Ginkgo Biloba bullshit. They said this is supposed to keep you awake, and that had 500 milligrams of caffeine in it. Pounded one of those, and then I had some caffeine pills at home. Dissolved those in water. Pounded that. Went to my computer, felt tired. I thought, oh, I'm going to lie down for two minutes. Immediately passed out. Except I was completely conscious the entire time I was asleep. And I could feel my heart just beating really, Ooh. really fast the entire time. And I woke up jittery and had a headache. Didn't finish my final. <laughs> Didn't do, did not get a good grade in that Moral class. of the story? Uh, yeah, too much caffeine, not good for you. Not good, yeah. yeah. Apparently. But, uh, yeah, anyway. I love caffeine. I love drinking coffee, but I don't want 300 fucking cups of coffee. It's a lot system. of coffee. That's, yeah, it is a if lot you of can coffee. live after 300 cups of coffee, that says a lot about what our bodies can fucking handle. Right? Yeah. Hell yeah. I like tw- 12 cups. cups is like my, I think my limit for the day, you know? Yeah, not 300. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I guess the moral of the story is don't go to Urethra College yeah. or right. the hell. Yeah. Northumbria? What the hell? Northumbria. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Horrible. Gingerly touch out tips. <laughs> yeah, that's a silly name for a college. I love when I read these names of colleges from different countries because they're always silly. They're whimsical. They're very whimsical. Everything from London's whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of London, guys, I want to mention that our very own Lord Matthew, he started his own podcast. It's called Game Fart, and it's coming to Madcast Media 
I am super excited to announce that. It's really well done, very well produced, and they are they are the other show who started using our own developed in-house soundboard. This is amazing technology. I'm going to talk about it more, but stay tuned for Lord Matthew's show on this network. Uh, it's going to be launching soon. I think you guys will really like it. It's a gaming podcast, and I've been meaning to bring some more gaming podcasts to this network, and a lot of people have asked me to do one as well. And John, you have some really interesting philosophies and, and opinions on gaming, because I think you and I play games similar. We, right. we, we fuck it up, yeah. and then we, to our own detriment, ruin the game yeah. and stubbornly won't start over. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know, it's like, what's more boring than reading some instruction manual to a game that you're about to experience? So you just start uh, playing. Yeah. And we're talking about, I don't know if that was on air when we were talking about Fallout 3. No. I, I, I just, uh, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So instead of using the, you know, the travel ports, yeah. I would just run through the desert yeah. and get all my stim packs wasted and show up at the next town, like yeah. literally close to death and yeah. like fucking be completely fucked up and then save the game. So... Yeah, played Fallout 3 for r- really the wrong way for about three months, and I have all these death situations where I've saved the game right before I die. So I'd have to play it all over again. But what a great game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still would do it again. I I don't know that I would agree, because I, I, I hate walking in video games in Fallout 4. I, I played a clip from Fallout 4. No, I, I'm not saying I would run through the fucking game. I'd play it right this time and use the goddamn travel ports. Yeah, the fast I feel like that's, that, to, that, that, that to me is an, a, an admission by the developer that you designed the game poorly. Oh, we got fast pass now. Uh. Okay, well, if you can just teleport anywhere, then why the fuck do I even have to walk? Can I just teleport to the enemies? Can I? Do I have to walk 10 feet? Why, why not just save me that time? Hmm. Just make the enemy there, all right? Uh, you know what? Why don't you just make the enemy dead, too? Why am I even fucking playing this game? <laughs> can I just, <laughs> just turn it on and win? Yeah. yeah. I don't need the challenge. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, no game's a challenge when you're me. Uh, but John, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show. An incredible honor. You guys, check out the Slayer comic book. It's in stores now. It's in every comic book store. You yep. can buy it online as well. Yeah, Comicsology can get it. And if you dig it, there's two more issues. There's February and March. It's a three issue thing. Uh, you know, it'll be coming out in a hardcover like towards the end of the year. So can't wait. Was it a pain in the ass to write? You've written comics before, obviously. Yeah, honestly, it, it took a long time. Yeah, because I had to get in the right frame of mind, yeah. and you know, it literally it, it did take a long time to write because it was you know. Comics are not the easiest thing. A lot of people just think, oh, I could just blow through a comic and write it. It's like literally you're writing out every panel description, what every character is doing, yeah. what's in the background. Even if there isn't dialogue, you're describing and setting the pacing of the comic. So right. for myself to get into these uh, different characters' headspaces, was uh, it took a little bit of time for myself, especially the second and most most importantly, the last issue took a long time to finish and write it right. Yeah. Like where I'd write out stuff and then rewrite it and then add another scene and change and reorder stuff. So It's a surprising um, amount of work. I, when I wrote my comic, it, again, even a page that just had one or two words of description on it, or one of two words of dialogue, mm-hmm. I had to write pages of description on exactly how the character should look, what he's responding to, the framing, etc. Basically, you're directing as well right. as writing. And uh, if people want to follow you online... Where can they find you? You guys can just find me on Twitter and Instagram, just at John Schnapp. At John Schnapp. I'll link to it on the website. But until next time, that's it for this debate. I'd like to thank Rock Rock Ali. Yeah. And Mikey Bolts on audio. Yep. Thank you, Mikey. But most of all, you're welcome. Maddox, you are an idiot. Oh, my God, you are an idiot. I cannot believe you. I cannot believe that you would want to just punch everybody in the face. That's a Nazi. You can't just go punching these Nazis in the face and think that 
that will stop them. No, it's not going to stop them. It's going to say, hey, these people are even more hateful than we thought, so they're going to come back at it even more. The Nazi's going to come out of the woodwork. There's going to be more. He's going to be a martyr. Idiot. <laughs> All right. Well, there's uh, there's another point of view. Uh, here's another uh, here's another voicemail about this whole like video game walking thing. And another thing, <laughs> if you hate walking in video games so fucking much, then why the fuck do you love Pokemon Go so much? Where it's a game that all you literally fucking do is walk. Yeah. Explain that level of fucking logic to me because I don't fucking see it. Yeah. Okay. Shithead. The difference is in Pokemon Go, you're doing real walking, idiot. It's called exercise, all right? Oh, why are you playing a video game, Maddox? Huh? All you do is walk in. It's real fucking walking. You lose weight, all right? You're spending calories, and it's also a social experience. You go outside. At, just today, I found a wild Snorlax. It was only 500 CP. It was shit. I transferred it to the professor, but I, st- I still found it. I was about to ask if you've been working out. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rucka. Here's, here's one more. You know, there's that glasses company that, like, uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, for every pair of glasses you buy, they fucking ship a pair over somewhere. Do they ever say it's for sh- that they're shipping a pair of prescription glasses, or is it just, like, the frames, so is there a bunch of fucking kids walking around with, like, 80s rapist glasses <laughs> and old hipster glasses? <laughs> Good question, Weird Matthew McConaughey. He always has a question of the week. I guess that's that one. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, those companies, a lot of times, you know, like Tom's, they have, oh, we're going to give a sh- pair of shoes to another kid, which, by the way, is a shitty business model. <laughs> if you give shoes to some fucking country in Africa, guess what? You just killed their shoe industry. They can't sell shoes. They can't compete with free. So right. now these companies are giving out glasses? How the fuck do you give out glasses, by the way? You have to get prescriptions. What are they, just shitty reading glasses? Or like weird Matthew McConaughey said, hipster glasses? No lens, just frames? So they just go small, medium, large. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Here you go, bozo. Good luck. Here's uh, here's one last one. Hey, guys. Uh, called in. I was the last caller on last episode. I forgot to introduce myself. Got a couple <laughs> things for Rucka. Oh, First boy. of all, the song from The Breakfast Club is not U2. That's Simple Mind. So don't yeah. drag them down to U2's level, please. Yeah. And, hey, uh, hey, secondly, hey. Thank you for uh, apologizing about calling Mr. Rogers the C-word. So, anywho, love the podcast, guys. Keep on rocking. Thanks. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I I did apologize, didn't I? Yeah. He, I, I, don't, a, I don't think, I don't remember it, but, okay. <laughs> Some strong um, hate on Mr. Rogers. Let me tell you all a story. <laughs> I uh, once met a guy named Maddox. Oh. We hung out. I like this. I uh, still didn't really know him that well, so when he uh, said things that sounded like he knew what he was talking about, I uh, did not assume he was talking out of his ass. We were in a public restroom, just a couple of guys taking a piss, you know, bonding, when uh, the song, Hey, 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 uh, came on. I said, Oh, it's the Breakfast Club song. And uh, this said guy, Maddox, says, Oh, it's you too. I said, Really? I said, yeah, that's like their big song. I was like, Oh, so that's why U2 is popular. I always thought they suck shit, but they were breakfast club guys. No wonder they have such a big fan base. And ever since then, although I still don't fucking like them that much, I always would think like, okay, at least they wrote that one song. So thank you, Maddox, for uh, lying to me and then <laughs> by uh, extension, you know, then leading me to lie to the American people. 
Yeah, well, our listeners are Nazis. I don't give a shit. <laughs> hey there. Don't forget to subscribe to Madcast Shows on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Okay, bye. Madcast Media Network. <laughs> <laughs>